welcome to Pullin' Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas GCSA. Opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the people on the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association or any of its sponsors. Hello everyone, welcome back in. Here we are, Pullin' Weeds. Got a couple special guests with us today. They're um, a little nervous, I think, but aren't we all when we come on the Pulling Weeds for the first time? So, all right, welcome in. Jack? Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? All right, I'm going to let you pronounce your last name so I don't say it wrong. Moran. M-O-R-A-N, is that correct? Yes, sir. All right, and we've got with you Tom. Tom Monzo, the one and only. And Tom is here for listening purposes or correcting us if we get out of line. Is that correct? That's right. All right, everybody. Jack's the owner. President? What's owner. your title? Owner. Owner, CEO, founder. Entrepreneurial guy here yeah. of ecological improvements. Yes, sir. It's got an S, correct? Plural. Plural. We had an argument about that in here this week um, in the office about that. Did you know that when you signed up for a booth, there was no S? Really? Yeah. Man. But we got it fixed with the See, logo. See, this is what happens when I fill out paperwork. <laughs> That's great. All right. So, um, Jack is with, like we just said, ecological improvements. Tell everybody just a brief snippet of what that company does before we get into anything else here. Yeah, Ecological Improvements provides innovative erosion control solutions. We're an erosion control solution provider. And it's not just golf courses, correct? Not just golf courses. That's our core business. Okay. Um, we found a good little niche with golf courses. They're, they're fun to work with. Um, but we do a lot of work for uh, homeowners associations and a little bit of public work as well. All right. So, Jack, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Cape Cod. Did you go to Boston College? I did not, unfortunately. My dad's a little bit, a little bit disappointed, but I went to a school called Mass Maritime Academy, some okay. Merchant Marine Academy. Nice. Yep, right in Cape Cod. So your dad went to BC? No, my dad didn't go to college, but oh, that was he wanted hard. me to go to a big school, you know, so he'd go come watch the football games, but That's unfortunately it. not. I, we were talking ACC earlier. I, I just figured I'd throw that out there, seeing as I were up here and. God's country. Um, <laughs> That's right. For those who aren't listening, we are in the Liberty headquarters this morning, the, in case you weren't aware. But um, so how'd you figure out? Okay. Okay. So Boston. Yep. School. Yep. What'd you do out of school? Out of school? Um, like what were our aspirations? So I've always kind of been entrepreneurial, um, but obviously I had the pressure from the parents, the teachers, the peers, telling me I had to go get a job, Yep. you know, do something, uh, start getting my career underway. So right out of school, I went into, I studied environmental science in school, but right out of school, I jumped into a financial advising role um, for a guy that worked in my town. Um, I had a couple of businesses in mind that I wanted to start. And throughout college, when I had tried to pitch a business to someone, it always came down to investment. Um, no one really wanted to hand an investment over to an 18-year-old or 19-year-old. Um, so that was always the hiccup to getting my businesses started. So I figured if I went down that financial advising role, I would start understanding how the stream of money worked um, and, and how to start raising some of that money to start some of these ideas that I had in the back of my mind. Um, so that was kind of how the journey started. Okay. So let me guess. First thing they say is go to your personal market, right? Go to everybody that you know and try and get them in and et cetera and all that, right? Well, you'd think that I really wanted to learn sales. That's why I jumped into the job. I okay. knew that, I, you know, I, 
had to learn sales to start any business. Um, but they threw me into an administrative role, which you see from my uh, GCSA booth application uh, is not my strong suit. So um, you're as good with a pen as I am. Huh? Yeah, not okay. very good. Got it. Um, so my ADD was starting to get the best of me. Um, my boss probably wasn't too stoked on my performance uh, at that job. And I was, you know, spending more time around the office trying to uh, pick the brains of the, you know, good salesmen in the company and the, you know, top advisors than I was doing my actual job. So um, it didn't last very long, to say the least. But Okay, so what'd you do from there? So from there, um, the advisor that I was working for, I was doing a couple favors for him after, you know, after hours, I would bring him paperwork and, you know, kind of just doing like grunt work for him. And one day, you know, after work, it was on a Friday, I think it was, um, I drove like three, four, you know, three extra hours to, uh, through traffic to bring him some paperwork for a client meeting that he had the next day. And to reward me, he brought me to one of his, you know, gym country clubs, um, just to kind of hang out and be like, thanks for, you know, bring, bringing this stuff to me. Um, and he asked me, you know, when we were sitting there after, you know, we did the workout or whatever, um, why do you want to be a financial advisor? You know, you have this background in environmental science. You're always talking about it passionately. Um, what are you doing here? And I was like, to be honest with you, Chris, like, I don't want to be an or, or a uh, financial advisor. Um, I want to start my own company. And so he's like, well, what would you start? And so right then and there, I pitched that idea to him. Um, and he was pretty interested in it. He's like, that's something that I would invest in. Um, so he asked me to put together a pitch deck for him and, and kind of give him a more um, um, detailed overview of what the company would be. Um, so I produced that for him and he started to introduce me to some of his uh, mergers and acquisitions contacts that he uses uh, when he wants to purchase a business. And we started going down that path. I started getting mentorship from some of his contacts and putting together, you know, actually putting together a business, um, not just an idea, but how to actually execute on on some of these ideas that I had. Nice. So first investor, potentially. He, yep. First potential investor. All right, so we get the deck together. We get we get the presentation squared away. We get a little support. So for all those folks out there like me who don't know what it takes to start up a business, so what do you do next then? Yeah, so it was because you got to work, right? You got to eat. Yeah, you got to make the folks happy. You got to be doing your job. You can't just quit your job and go out on a whim, right? Yep. So that is actually kind of what happened. I I did quit that job um, soon thereafter. Um, and I was working, you know, another job for this parking lot company, just making extra money, sure. doing some project management at night, snow plowing. Um, and I was starting to build the company up. So um, the the guy, Rod Robertson, he's the pres president of the investment bank, the uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions guy that Chris introduced me to. He had me start developing financial summaries and getting our pitches together and getting our decks together and our business plan. Um, those were all the materials that we would need to raise the money for the project. At the time, I, I was still interested in erosion control, but it was a different model that I'm currently doing. Um, we were trying to build a nursery to grow a marsh grass called Spartina alterniflora, um, which is a wetland restoration plant that has a high demand um, where I'm from in Cape Cod and really up and down the East coast. Um, and it's really difficult to grow in a nursery setting. So we were trying to develop a nursery that could grow that plant, um, which would require a big investment. I think it was like $2.7 or something like that that we needed to do that project. So he was helping me develop the materials that I would need to go to the investors to raise money. Um, so went down that path for four or five months, learned a ton, um, and then COVID hit, uh, which kind of derailed, derailed that uh derailed that project, which, you know, in a sense was a little bit of a godsend. 
um, because I was kind of faking it until I made it. I was talking a big game, like I knew how to run a nursery and grow these plants, but uh, I didn't really know, like, you know, if I took on a $2 million investment, um, it would have been... quite the endeavor we'd be having a different podcast this morning yeah i'd be i'd be probably asking you for some more money to bail me out i'd be looking at a deck right now (laughs) exactly we'd be going through the uh spartina grass pitch (laughs) right about now okay so um so then covid hits yep so covid hits um derails that project and that was it, it didn't like exactly derail it, but it gave me an excuse to take a step back and be like, okay, what am I really going to do? Because this is like kind of crazy when I'm going down and it's a big liability and um, I don't necessarily know how to execute on this plan um, that I've been trying to develop. Um, so COVID hits and, you know, everyone knows we were locked down in our houses. It was a lot of free time and it was a good time for me to start, you know, really developing what I was going to do. And I ended up during that time, getting a job with a solar company, okay. um, which that's where I started learning my, uh, my sales skills. I was going door to door. It was a door to door company at the time during COVID, we couldn't go door to door. So we were doing, um, cold calling. Um, and there was a lot of personal development, you know, with that company, but I was getting a lot of interaction, um, uh, making high volume touches with, with clients, potential clients with, you know, zero idea what our product was just showing up on their phone, um, which later turned on to you know turned into showing up at their doorstep and trying to sell them something, um, and I learned a lot from that. Um, and the job was eat, completely eat what you kill. Um, there was no salary, there was no base salary, so I had to learn quickly how to be fully dependent on myself. Sure. Um, there was no. There was it's not no, easy. Yeah, there was no comfortability. There was it was dive in uh, head first and you know sink or swim. Okay, so we're selling solar panels. Solar panels, yep. To go on homes, commercial, both, nope, residential? No, to, to go on homes. Okay. Yep, and... Uh, and so after 3.2 million panels later, sold. <laughs> not not quite, but... Not quite, okay. But, um, yeah, so it was, for me, it took me like almost two months to get my first sale, not making any money. Um, I went from, you know, I was living at home at first, and then I had to move into the office because um, I couldn't live at home anymore. Um, for, you know, some other reasons, but I had to move into their office place. So I just had an air mattress on the floor, um, of that office. And I was like, I'm either going to be homeless or I'm going to make it here. So just got out, was working hard every single day, learning a lot, which was the most important. And, uh, finally the money started rolling in and we were off to the races after that. Okay. So we're going to take a break from solar. We'll get back to solar in the next transition. Do you play golf? Um, well, yes, I do play golf. Do you like it? I like golf. I don't play as much golf as I'd like to now that I'm working on the golf courses. So, so you can't like some of these fancy places you go to like, all right, we're going to come work on this project in three weeks, but today I need to come ride around with you and (laughs) we need to play 18 holes first. Yeah. I mean, uh, not yet. I'd love to get out on the course, but it's just difficult. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. So just out of curiosity though. Just, just got to know. At what point did you leave Boston? Yes. Or, or the Northeast, the Cape? Yeah, so after six, seven months with the solar company. Um, oh, so I, it's right about the same time then? Yes. Okay. Uh, so it, it, that's where the transition happened from the solar company after that. I, so I had 
help them build up that company. Um, I was starting to figure out, you know, the processes there, developing a sales process, developing a sales team, got a bunch of my buddies to come work for the company. Um, and I didn't see it, you know, becoming a passive stream. And I still had in the back of my mind, like, I want to start my own company. And I was putting in all this work um, for this other company. And I'm like, why am I just not doing this for myself? Um, and eventually it just like hit me. I was like, I got to make a decision, packed up my car, uh, moved down to Florida. And I'm like, See, either, again, sink or swim. I'm going to figure out how to build this business and just started drumming up relationships when I got down to Florida. And it was tough at first, but after a little bit of time, we uh, we started getting the company up and rolling. So that's the birth of EI, Ecological Improvements, is out of COVID. Out of COVID, yep. So we're a couple years still old? During co- it was uh, still during COVID. Yeah, we're three and a half years old now. Wow, okay. Yep. And some pretty high-profile clients along the way already, I'd say. Yeah, we've been super lucky. Um, in our first year, I think our biggest client was Gulfstream in in uh, southern Florida. Then that led to Trump International, um, which led to the Breakers, um, which led to some high-profile courses in Georgia. Um, and then we moved up to Charleston, and now we're doing some really cool courses here and. You know, as you know, superintendent world is like a big fraternity. So word spread fast. You know, we we try to do really you know good work for the, the superintendents, and um, we're a relationship driven company. So uh, it kind of spread like wildfire, and the floodgates were open, and now we're we're off to the races. All right. Well, and I'm going to tie it in for everybody as to why we're here today. Um, not only because being in the Carolinas, we feel like we're lucky, right? Like we've got some of the largest corporations in the golf business they're headquartered here um you got the manufacturing facility for john deere and fuqua arena so like any john deere mower like the ones that are be over in uh rome or wherever for the Ryder cup etc they're made right here in the carolinas um a lot of our chemical companies have their headquarters here and so here we are we get a phone call a couple months ago from a guy who as a relatively new company who is now headquartered in the Carolinas as well, which I personally love um, selfishly. So <laughs> here we are in the Carolinas. Uh, we got connected through, um, and I'll drop another name for you, Bill Kennedy, correct? Correct. From the Chichesi Creek Club, C3, affectionately known. Well, my fun story is that Bill and I came on about the same time. Uh, when I got hired, Bill was a new director. And so we ran gosh, seems like the first eight, nine years together at every meeting um, till he was president in 2015. But we met, and then we got to chat a little bit about what you guys were doing and all, and some fun stuff came out of it, which um, I'll drop the, spill the beans here. Everybody can kind of read about it. I, I guess the press will already be out by the time this airs, because I think we're going to drop this in a couple weeks. But um. They have so graciously offered a trip to Panama for the grand prize winner of the 27-hole challenge this year. So um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like, how, wh- where's Panama come from? Yeah, so um, through this ride, you know, after two years building the company, kind of got to a standstill. We were doing really well, but, you know, we weren't scaling up, and I was still a young entrepreneur trying to just learn how to run a business and grow a business to the potential I saw it could reach. Um, and that mentor that I had in the beginning rod that I mentioned that, you know, helped me with the original presentations from the first company that I was trying to do was like, good job, JR. Like you've 
you've figured out, you know, how to build a business, you're profitable. Um, you should come down with the, on this big trip to Panama with all these business guys that we have. They have like their own little fraternity called the Blowfish Society that they, they run these excursions all over the world. Um, so I hitched, uh, you know, along with them to do some networking. And I met my current business partner, Jose Goldner, um, who's, um, you know, has a lot of political influence down in Panama. Um, and he seemed like the perfect person to help me grow the company to the next level. Um, so I went down there and I was living with him for six, seven months, um, just getting mentorship, combing through the company, trying to revamp all our systems, make it more efficient. Um, and eventually after bugging him for a couple months, he finally made the leap full time into EI and, uh, moved down to Charleston. And, and I think that's, you know, kind of how our Panama connection happened. Wonderful. So, and I had the opportunity to meet him as well. Very nice man. Yeah. Very nice man. Yeah, he's a good dude. I can't imagine myself in my mid-20s meeting somebody like that and having an opportunity to build a business. I've gotten lucky for sure. I'm very gracious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think, I wouldn't say lucky. I, I would say, well, sure. There's a degree of luck in all of it, but I mean, if you don't bust your ass, if you don't go out there and make those sacrifices, and I think that's the point that people got to hear right here is, it may not be the extreme of sleeping on an air mattress in an office, but, you know, some of the most successful stories that we're hearing are guys and gals, not just guys, sorry, um, that are willing to, to go the extra effort, that believe in themselves, you know, that are willing to invest in themselves. Um, I've said it a, a number of times throughout here. You get an opportunity to talk to assistants a lot, um, you know, and, it's hard for me to fathom that anybody would listen to what I have to say because I feel like I'm still a young assistant myself at some points. But, you know, you find yourself telling them that you've got to market yourself. Like, you've got to be your own Don King. Like, you've got to be your own best self-promoter because nobody else is going to do it for you, you know? And, and, and sometimes it's like, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's okay to brag about yourself in certain situations. There. And maybe it's not bragging, but speaking the truth, you know, and it seems to me like, at least from the stories that we've heard this morning and, and in the brief meetings, that that's what you've done, you know, you've, you've committed yourself to an idea, right, and worked hard at it and found some partners that believe in you. So I, I think it's an amazing outfit just from what I've seen and, you know, as a Carolina's one of the things we love to do is, is grow together. People have heard me say that for years. And so our association is continually looking for ways that we can grow. Um, there's only so many golf courses, so you feel like there's only so many members that we can have. But we're blessed because we do have another half of our membership, which are the affiliates and folks like yourselves who, you know, hey, now we're the lucky ones. You moved to the Carolinas, you know. You want to you wanna be based here and do your business here when you've got 50 states to choose from? I think it says a lot. And so here we are in terms of partnerships, et cetera. So let's talk a little bit about some of the projects that you've got going on. What are you doing right now in the Carolinas? So right now, right around the corner from where we are right now, um, we have Thornblade. Um, we're doing a massive creek bank restoration. Um, if so anyone who's listening to this job if uh, or listening to this podcast, if you have any creek bank uh, restorations needed, feel free to come out to the job, take a look, see what we're doing. Um, we got some really cool, uh, uh, really cool project going on right now um, that we're really and excited about. And y'all be there for a couple more weeks? Yeah, we're about a week and a half left. Gotcha. Um, so 
this is where I ask my stupid questions. Creek Bank Restoration. What are you doing? Restoring um, a creek bank? Yeah, so we're doing a, we're, it's, it's a bioengineered living shoreline. Um, I'm a firm believer, um, and there's science to back it, that hard structures are no longer the solution to erosion. Um, that's your rip wraps, your, your bulkheads, um, hard, big hard structures as much as people would think. They are a strong barrier for erosion. Um, non-structural vegetative restoration um, is the way to go. You know, these plants have evolved for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years to combat erosion. Um, but, you know, due to development, a lot of times they're dismantled um, and then you get unvegetated banks um, and loose sediment and that's where the erosion is caused. Um, so what we're doing with Thornblade is revamping that natural environment um, to prevent erosion. And, and that does use synthetic products because getting those plants to establish their roots in that sediment um, can be difficult if you get a flood event or a rain event. Um, it can wash out those newly planted plants. So we utilize, you know, geotextiles um, and a number of products to stabilize, you know, those newly planted plants until they can uh, develop their root structures. Okay. So I saw this big roll of, I'm going to call it um, creek bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, that's what a good representation. Like. I like that. Um, it looked a little heavier than that, but it looked like it was about 20 foot wide or so. And then rolled out the length of the bank. You tack it at the top and then roll it down. And yep. then you did the whole creek bank. So that's the synthetic material that you're talking about? Correct. That's a poured stone over a geosynthetic material. Um, okay. And it has a number of layers. Um, so that's a more aggressive material. Um, probably one of the strongest materials that we use. Um, it's for very high energy environments like the, you know, Russian Creek that's running through Thornblade. Yeah, that um, floods every time it rains. Exactly. So um, that product, uh, again, yeah, it's a it's an aggressive product. It's um, um, extremely durable, but the strength of the product will come from the plants that we're going to integrate with that system. So then once you've done that, here's my ignorance kicking in. You just cover that with dirt? So there'll be a layer, a medium of fill that goes um, between the dirt. Um, then it'll be covered in a, a fiber core matting, and then we'll plant mature plants directly into it um, that will adhere the whole system together. And then the roots essentially can grow through that, which hold it all and lock it into place once it's done growing in, correct? Correct. I just, I can't fathom all this. So (laughs) here's the thing, ecological improvements. That's the company that you are. Yes. But then there are some other vendors that you use as well, correct? To install that are are working with you that that we might know the name of that like who are some other companies that you work with? Yeah. So we, you know, we try to take an agnostic approach to erosion control. Um, We, we offer and do installations in house, um, but not every situation requires the same solution. So with um, Thornblade, the solution that we offer in house, I didn't think was a good solution for their, um, for their specific environment. Uh, Kyle Callahan and I, um, who was the superintendent at the time um, when we were, you know, bidding the job, he and I discussed 
our core business, which is we do a lot of socks erosion solutions, which is just a synthetic mesh. Um, and he didn't think that would have been a good solution for their environment because they get a lot of debris that comes down the river. Um, and this is a, the, the geosynthetic mesh is, you know, would have been exposed in that specific environment. So we knew we needed something a little bit more robust. Um, and so I said to him, you know, although my company doesn't install this specific solution, there's probably only five or six companies on the whole East Coast that I would trust to do a project like this. And at the time, he had a bid for just straight riprap, which again, as I said before, I don't think is a, um, um, a good solution at all. Um, it requires a lot of maintenance and, you know, you end up paying. It's a more expensive solution than some of the better solutions there are. Um, and you end up paying to, to repair it very quickly after it's installed. Um, so it's not a good solution at all, in my opinion. So I wanted to, at the very least, make sure that he didn't go down that path. So I spent some time over the next couple of weeks calling around and figuring out, you know, what would be the best solution for that specific application. And that's how we ran into um, um, Fleximat, which is the current solution that we're using for that that project. And uh, we're pretty excited about uh, the, the turnout on it. Yeah. So, and I think that's what amazed me is that, I guess when I look at companies, you know, they sell a certain product, a certain brand, you know, that's what they do. That's what they're good at. But you, on the other hand, like it was more solution oriented and like you just tried to allude to, it's not, it, it's not necessarily an EI product. It may be a varying product from another company that may be the best solution. And so you just, you partner with them and bring them in. Correct. Is exactly. that kind of it? So that therefore you can represent many different solutions? Absolutely. And, and I think that where we've been successful, especially when you're, you know, when we're doing business with a superintendent, more times than not, they know better than I do, you know, about 90% of the things that we're talking about. You know, these guys are masters in their trades. So coming in and trying to um, um, tell them what they already know or try to sell them on a product that's not going to work is an easy way to lose trust with these guys. Um, so I think that where we've been successful is just coming from, you know, understanding someone's needs um, and then working with them to find a solution that works for, you know, their specific situation and their budget instead of trying to push, you know, a specific product in. Although I can make five times more money for my company by installing riprap and it's a lot easier to do, it would cause me a lot less headaches. Um, the repercussions down the road um, um, would, you know, dismantle a lot of these relationships that we've created because it's 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 not a long-term solution so what you want to do is you want to find a solution that when they call you back it's for a different creek that they're fixing instead of the same one absolutely that's the goal okay so pardon my ignorance yet again but it seems like that you guys got to do more than just creek bank restorations yeah i'd say our core business is 90% of our core uh, of our core business is retention ponds, erosion okay. on retention ponds. Um, and the golf courses typically will use it as an aesthetic product. Okay. Um, but, but we want to do, you know, much, much bigger things. You know, my passion, and as I said before, when I was trying to build the nursery company, my passion is coastal erosion. You know, I see in my hometown in Cape Cod, houses washing into the water. Um, and it's a major, major issue for uh, inland infrastructure um, in coastal cities, which hold 75, 80% of the infrastructure in the country is in coastal cities. Um, so I think there's a much bigger problem at hand. But, you know, as a 26-year-old, you got to start somewhere. All right. So here's your loaded question. Let's hear it. So if a seawall is used, 
right, to save a dune. Yep. What product, because, like, we just talked about, like, some of those bulkheads weren't the solution, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, when it comes to the ocean, some of those larger ones, it seems like that has to be some sort of a solution there, right? Well, like, it's... How can you grow things on that level? Well, that's kind of an ironic um, is, statement. Am I asking a, the wrong question? Well, a seawall to save a dune. A dune is one of the best um, erosion control barriers for, for the coastline. Okay. You know, a, a dune is a highly vegetated um, um, uh, sand embankment um, that is evolved to combat erosion the problem is there's not enough dunes the dunes aren't big enough because of development they're not getting replenished with sand um because of you know a number of reasons so the dune itself should be would do a better job ah, saving the seawall okay, okay. than the other way around well no, i just wonder that because i've seen one where you know there's they put a seawall out there in front of the dunes you know and i'm like that's maybe that's where my ignorance kicks in yeah the dunes are what's supposed to be the seawall to begin with, right? Yeah, so what the problem with the the seawall is it's just redispersing that energy, that wave action. Um, so a lot of times what you'll see is that energy where it wants to go up the beach will run into that seawall and get dissipated down, so it'll start trenching in front of the seawall, and that's why more often than not you'll see seawalls or you know bulkheads leaning forward um, because hard structures, although they may stop erosion in one area, they increase erosion in undesired areas. Okay. And the weakness will always surface? It will always surface. Especially when it comes to water and space, huh? That's right. Okay. All right. See, I'm learning so much here today. Okay. Um, and I apologize if I'm going on tangents. You're doing a good job of reeling me back no, in. No, no. This is, this is good because my ADD usually kicks in, and we've actually kind of followed a path here today. I'm impressed with you. Um, I saw so Tom looking over. He's sitting across from us. He's looking over when uh -oh. I was going down that solar path. Like, dude, what are you talking about? No, no, that's how you got <laughs> here, though, man. That's what we want to know is, like, I think part of what sets us apart in this podcast, right, is that I, I'd rather a guy sit on a mower for 45 minutes to an hour and listen to Jack talk about Jack and who he is and where he came from so that when there is a need for you to be on the phone with him, there's at least some level of comfortability there where they feel like they know a little bit about you, you know, and hell, who knows? Maybe that, maybe some guy will call you here in a couple of weeks and be like, Hey man, so we're going to do this Creek bed, but can you put some solar panels on the clubhouse too? <laughs> and, and then we'll know, then yeah, we'll know yeah. if, yeah, if they've I hope listened. So. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, you've done a really good job with this podcast. It's, uh, you know, very comfortable to be here. And, uh, um, that's probably why you have such a great viewership is because you've made it so personable. So, well, we try what you do. Big Al was good for the first couple of years. Alan Knight and I used to do this together, but I got to tell you, it's really difficult trying to coordinate three grown adults to get an hour in the same room. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure you know that. I bet. But I mean, it's interesting because you may have been available Tuesday, Thursday from 8 to 11. Yeah. But he may not be, you right. know, or Alan couldn't make it or I couldn't. And so, anyhow. Um, you just got to offer free beer or something. That's That'll pull him in. You know, we made the phone call this morning trying to see if we could get you some tickets to the Clemson game, but I, I haven't heard back yet. I don't think that went so well. But we do have some – we got a few more minutes left. Sorry about the banging, folks. They're fixing the door at our office finally after about three and a half months. And – uh they went a little over this morning, so if you hear some extra tapping, don't worry, it'll go away here in just a second. But the nail, um, the nail gun's not going anymore, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Thank goodness the pancake uh, <laughs> air compressor is finally cut off. But um, 
All right, so a couple things I wanted to touch on real quick, though. You guys use um, some H2B labor occasionally with some of your projects. Is that correct? Correct. And so um, in talking with you and Jose earlier, I think one of the things that I found the most interesting is that, um, like, I always found the H2B guys, like, were stuck to a specific, like, location. Like, because we've always had them associated with a country club. You know, they, they worked at Country Club X, for their nine months and they came back and that's where they work. But you guys have it where they actually can travel to different work sites and do different jobs for you. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So I guess the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that came out is that if people need just some temporary labor from time to time, might not be a bad idea just to reach out to you because there could be some periods of time where maybe they're not busy or not working and they could come work on a golf course for a week, for instance, and help with an airification project or something. Yeah. So we, I was doing a lot of site inspections for erosion and I kept hearing the same thing over and over again over the past year. Like we're having trouble with labor, we're having trouble with labor. Um, and although, you know, our core business is erosion control, we do a lot of other, you know, small side deals, um, just trying to help people, you know, broker companies with uh, a superintendent's needs. Um, so I kept hearing this re reoccurring problem with um, the labor and I mentioned it to my partner, Jose, um, who just so happened to have, you know, be a shareholder and a partner in a major staffing company um, that staffs people from Latin America, which is where he's from. Um, so we started helping a number of courses, um, yeah, source source labor, um, and it hasn't been a problem for us at all. So, uh, yeah, if you guys need any any labor at all, hit us up. Yeah, no doubt. All <laughs> right, what's the best way for people to find you? Um, so... I mean, there's a number of ways. Reach out to my phone would be great. I don't know if you're, uh, you want to just read. I don't, I don't know if it's you, good man. to read my phone number. I've put this. mine online before. It's yeah. up to you if you want to put it out there. But you're no, I'll say go out to, uh, go out to um, you know, our website, ecologicalimprovements.com. You can find my contact information there. You can find our email. Reach out to me there. I'd love to put my phone number on this uh, podcast, but I get enough uh, spam calls a day. Perfect. And you're also members, right? So they can find you in the directory. Yes, sir. If you need anything. Um, and then you guys are going to have a booth at the show this year, right? We will. And it's going to be a fun one. Nice. We're going to be getting after it. So Nice. Looking forward to it. I guess I'll have to swing by there. But um, Jose had mentioned something about a college internship program that you guys do as well. Yeah. So I guess the company's kind of like an, the entire company is a mentorship program, essentially, for entrepreneurs. We try to, you know, incubate entrepreneurs. Um, so um, there's a big personal development piece of our company. Um, so we constantly are trying to hire like-minded, you know, people to more than anything, teach them, you know? So it's, it's not like we're necessarily hunting for college interns, but, um, if there's, if there's anyone out there, you know, that is looking to not go down the corporate route and wants to understand how to run a business and develop their own business and get their full self-worth, um, that's something that we're really, really passionate about. So it's our way of giving back is, um, you know, trying to give the most amount of education that we possibly can to our, our employees. So if your kids are interested maybe in turf or even in sales and they want to have something to do for the summer. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily up. have to be that it doesn't have to be turf or sales. It can be anything. You know, nice. there's, there's so much overlap in all these different businesses. We, you know, hired a kid that, was trying to start his videography company and we're helping him build that out. Um, um, What's Tom then, trying to do? Um, Tom wants to get his food truck. He's the sandwich king over here. Food truck. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if you're ever in Folly Beach and you want to uh, 
bread, some nutty bread on an Italian, or an Italian on some nutty bread. Tom's your guy. Okay, sesame seed roll. Who knew? Who knew? It's funny because I changed careers after a week at Folly Beach and decided that um, it'd be good if I just had a snow cone truck and just stayed down there all summer. That would have been a good gig. Yeah, Yeah, but no, no. Yeah, I think I was on the same program as you. Other folks are like, no, you need a job. You need to be working. That money's not going to keep flying out the door to us, so... And we were going to have Tom chatting on this podcast, but last time we did that, he went on an hour tangent on why not to uh, eat seed oil. So we got to keep him uh, quiet on this one. All right. He's in listen only mode, (laughs) but he is going to be there in um, cheering for the Tigers mode this afternoon. That's right. I can't remember who we're playing. It's a small school. I forget who it was. Uh, uh, They're local. College of Charleston? No, it's not College of Charleston. I, I just saw it. It's some Something. small local school. Maybe we'll do better than we did against Duke. Yeah, what happened there? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. It felt like I was back in my school days watching the Clemson Tigers play. Um, it's hard to say. It's the media's hard to say. being pretty harsh on the, on the uh, oh, coaching yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... <laughs> They're crucifying them. It's a whole different staff, you know. Um, yeah. The head coach is the same, but everybody running all the departments is a lot different now. Well, what else um, do you think people need to know about EI? Like, what are all the different environmental services that they could even get into? Like, if I'm sitting here and I'm listening as a superintendent says, okay, we've talked about, what did we even talk about? Some kind of stone rollout, Matt? Help me out here. Yeah, the Fleximat. <laughs> there you go, Fleximat. Like, like what are, what are the whole genre of options to a creek bank? Yeah, well, I would say just anything with your waterways, your lakes, retention ponds, streams, rivers, or oceanfront, if you guys got any problems at all, um, reach out and we'll try to find you a solution whether we can do it or not. Um, you know, our network is vast, so if we don't have the solution, we can definitely point you in the right direction. And I'm just I'm, I'm trying to get my head around all the different solutions, though, right? Like how many different solutions are there? First, first and foremost, the best thing that you said is go native, right? Correct. Bring in something with some roots that's going to grow. Yep. So I've seen those big things that I think they were inflatable for a while. Like you could just, I don't remember, maybe they filled them with sand or something. Looked like big rolled up sandbags that went all along an edge there. And yeah, so I think what you're over. talking about is a geotube. Okay. And so the issue with geotubes, um, and hopefully I don't get in trouble for utilizing their name on this, but... But uh, the the issue with that product is it's essentially, you know, it's a rolled up silt fence. Um, So that that material, that geotextile is impermeable. Um, So it doesn't. The roots can't grow through that. The roots cannot grow through it and it cannot dewater. So although you have the sediment that you put inside the bag encapsulated, um, you have to put a medium of fill in between that bag and whatever vegetation. So that unencapsulated medium of fill is going to erode eventually um sure which is you know we end up replacing quite a bit of, uh, of g2 then you're just sitting there with the tube you're exposed. just sitting there with the tube correct i got you because no matter what that is in the middle like you say sand dirt whatever that medium is over time yep correct and the other problem with it is it's a woven material um so if you get any sort of rip in it which they have to rip it to fill it so immediately the the system becomes compromised the day that it's installed um, it's like pantyhose. They just start unraveling on each other and, and the rip gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas the geotextiles that we use are a knitted product. 
Um, so it's a series of individual knots. So we rip it all the time um, um, to go around trees. If you rip one knot, it doesn't affect the rest of the knots in the system. But in certain solutions, just to save ourselves here, there is a need for a geotube, I'm assuming, somewhere. I don't think so. Okay, well, I tried. So <laughs> just in case you get in trouble from them. Um, but I will tell you, there is a disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast that says all the opinions expressed on this podcast are those yeah. of just the guests. <laughs> so, so we'll take that liability. Yes, so that hopefully takes EI and the Carolinas <laughs> off of any liability from those. But um, Yep. All right, so what are your hobbies? Um, I got too many. Uh, my most recent has been spearfishing. I've been really liking spearfishing, but anything on the water, um, big surfer. Um, really? Yeah, I like surfing a lot. Are we going to get some waves from Lee, you think? Um, is that the new hurricane coming through? The one that's coming in like eight to ten days. Yeah, or it should. The last one, what was the last one called? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Isabella or something? Idalia, I think it was. Yeah, I, yeah that one. Idalia. Um, that produced some good swell and folly. What's uh, good swell and folly? Four or five? Yeah, like four or five feet. Okay. So now that same swell in Panama when I was there two weeks ago was 12 to 15. Now, have you ridden anything that big? course really not 15 12 is my max i've gone gone in how's that make you feel um it, it definitely gets the heart pumping my business partner's sons are uh professional surfers so they bring me out in life-threatening situations every time i go down there so the trauma is real uh, uh we've been in some hairy situations but we've made it out alive every single time so so the rip current is always what got me i tried a number of times in hawaii and just Man, you end up a mile down the beach. Yeah. It's just, it's the crazy. I could never figure it out. Yeah, so it's not on every single, you know, sometimes the current's worse than sure. others. Um, it's not necessarily all the time. Sometimes, yeah, you do find yourself running back down the beach to get back to the surf. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. What so, about you? What are your hobbies? I don't know. I feel like no one really turns the mirror on you asking you the questions. No, we should probably, we could go walk in my office when we get done. You can see <laughs> some of them hanging on the wall. Um you know, I guess the, the the right answer is is trying to be a good father. You know, I've spent more time thinking about that in the last five, six years than anything. Um, but hobbies are definitely being outside. Um, I would say turkey and deer hunting. And then um, play a little golf. Play a little golf. Yeah. Well, so, it's we, admirable that you prioritize uh, being a father over all else. I'll be there one day. Not quite yet, but. Yeah, it's. um. You know, it, it's funny. You talk to different parents that have different age kids, and I guess if you got any kind of a conscience, you feel a little guilty. Young Catholic boy growing up here, you know, that yeah. you haven't done everything right, but you look back at them and, you know, just, just want to be good products of society and be happy, you know, and feel like we're doing all right. They got a good head on their shoulders, so. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like they're uh, about to, you know, do do well in their basketball careers. and Let's hope. Let's yeah. hope. I just – Want to go wherever they want. I'm trying to tell them the same thing my folks said. Just go wherever you want. We'll figure the rest out. That's right. You know, give them those choices. So, all right. Is there anything about EI that you want to tell the world or potential customers that we may have forgotten? Hmm, let me think. Um, yeah, I think, you know, mate, our main services that you guys can keep an eye out for, the erosion control, um, you know, the, the labor staffing right now. Um, and then a big one that we've started going down the path of is um, rezoning for flood insurance. So if you guys, ah. you know, are in a flood zone or paying flood insurance, um, more often than not, um, those flood delineations um, are based on ancient FEMA maps um, and are incorrect. Um, so there's massive refunds involved. Um, and we do free consultation to figure out whether or not um, you're eligible for that. 
Um, so if you are paying, you know, flood insurance in an, or in a flood zone, um, it's really no loss to figure out whether or not um, those delineations are correct because there could be some, you know, refund involved. I have a feeling we have a number of golf courses that have some of those areas that are deemed as such. Um, did you did did Kyle take you up on that service? It would seem to me that flood that flooding at Thornblade would be an issue. Yeah, we had looked into it. Um, he had, I think, mentioned it to his management, and you know, we haven't discussed it much further. But um, we got a we got a project at hand, so I think he's worried about that more than uh, the flood premiums. Man, I just remember that place from doing the Tiger Golf Gathering. I want to say it was. We started in 03, so it would have been like 05 or 06, 05 or 06. And we did the party on a Thursday night. It used to be in the clubhouse. And then we'd play, we'd play like a captain's choice thing Thursday. And then Friday we had the, the Tiger Am where you played with somebody who was on the team or on tour or whatever. And we had to cancel Friday morning because of the rain that came in that night. It rained like five or six inches. And I've never seen so many holes underwater. I mean, it's just ridiculous the way that yeah. place is set up. The, it love the course just it, tough for drainage yeah how they explained it to me is they purchased it in a you know they purchased the land that was in a floodplain that's how they were able to get it cheap so many years ago um, but that obviously comes with a slew of problems um, that they're now dealing with um, but hopefully you know now they'll deal with uh, less problems now that we came in so hopefully uh, we, we could help a little help a little bit nice all right well um Back to Charleston for you guys via a Clemson football game. Um, but we haven't forgotten anything? No, I don't think so. I think that's you know, covers pretty much everything. I appreciate you having us on and letting us uh, giving us the time to chit-chat a little bit. Well, I think it's great, and we appreciate your partnership. You guys jumped right in, and um, looking forward to uh, presenting someone with a trip to Panama thanks to y'all. Yeah, that's going to be, be pretty epic. cool. Yeah, it's a beautiful place, and uh, we'll definitely take care of you guys. So. Whoever wins, uh, buckle up. That's it. So that the voice that you're hearing, you'll see on stage in November. And um, come shake his hand if you're the lucky one pulled for you and somebody else to go on a five-day tuna fishing excursion to uh, Panama. And, and, folks, that's the country of Panama. We're, we're not talking about Club La Vila in Panama City here. <laughs> you're going to need a passport. That's All right. right. All right, guys. Um, thanks for your time this morning and for coming to Liberty. Anything else we want to cover? Nope. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll see you in Panama. Let's have some fun. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Pulling Weeds. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association. Stay tuned as we will have another episode out soon. For further information on the Carolinas GCSA, Please visit our website at www.carolinasgcsa.org or call our office at 864-843-1150.